Auckland Council Libraries present We Read Auckland. Kapanui Tato Itamaki Makoto. I know this girl, and she works in a library standing there behind No my Haida Ma Kiara, and welcome to this Books and Beyond We Read Auckland special. Kapanui Tato Itamaki Makoto. This is your host, Alison, and I'm joined in the studio today by Josie Shapiro, the author of Everything is Beautiful and Everything Hurts. Kia ora, Josie. Kia ora, Alison. Thank you for having me here today. It's lovely to see you. Now, Josie, your debut novel was the winner of the inaugural Allen and Unwin Commercial Fiction Prize in 2022. So huge congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. How did it feel when, you know, you found out you'd won the prize? It was completely overwhelming. You know, one of those times when you are t- completely sure that your life is going in one direction. And I got the phone call. Well, it was a voice message that I received that said, could you please give us a call back? And I thought, <gasps> a phone call might mean something, you know, an email. Yeah. Thank you very much, but no. So I called back, very shaky, very nervous, and thinking that this is this could be the change of my life, you know, a really big deal. Mm. And it, it certainly was. It was, I laughed, you know, that sort of inappropriate laughter, oh, you know, when you just yes. feel completely uh, emotional and you don't know how to respond. It was fantastic. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love those stories. I've got a copy of the book here and it's just such a beautiful object, that cover art. It really makes the book so inviting. What does it feel like, you know, when you see the, the finished product? It was really exciting to to see the finished product and it was also a great experience to work with the publishers and the designer on what the cover might look like. I had totally different idea about what it might look look if it was ever a book and that was one of the things that keeps me going when I'm writing is I design my own sort of really bad fake covers that oh. I can look at and pretend, oh, this could be real one day. And she designed a whole lot of different looking ones with different colours, but this was by far the standout and the little flowers, sort of some of them blooming and some of them not. It was just really uh, just gorgeous and apt for me. Absolutely. No, it's it's just, it seems perfect. Now, for the listeners, I'll just provide a, a really quick description of Everything is Beautiful and Everything Hurts. Now, it's a coming-of-age novel, and early on in the book, our protagonist, Mickey Bloom, is 15 years old, and she's watching the 2000 Sydney Olympics on television. The women's marathon comes on, and Mickey watches it absolutely transfixed. Watching this race will alter the course of her life. You see, Mickey's a survivor. She's five foot tall. She's dyslexic. She's been bullied at school. But she discovers that she's quite a gifted athlete. And Mickey's mum doesn't have the income to buy proper running shoes, but Mickey manages to do well on talent and tenacity. But her success comes at cost, and the relentless training and pressure to win leaves Mickey broken, her dream in tatters. Years later, while navigating grief and loss, Mickey nourishes her dreams and begins to run again. Now, I hope I've done that justice. No, it's great listening to you sum it up like that. It's actually really nice to hear other people talk about how they right. feel about the story. Yeah. Oh, that's that's lovely. Thanks for that. Now, look, we've got to talk about the title. Everything is beautiful, and everything hurts. Now, you have said that it's from the Kurt Vonnegut book Slaughterhouse Five. 
Can you tell us more, though, about how you settled on the title? Oh, actually, I should say that Kurt Vonnegut's quote was just slightly different, wasn't it? It it is slightly different, (laughs) yeah. Everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. That quote, it seems to be used a lot online to describe lots of different situations. And I kept bumping into it on Instagram memes and just other places, and it it seemed to keep speaking to me. And uh, I worked it into the novel. And then as Mickey goes through her life, there's different variations on this little saying, this little quote. And I had been talking about the book to myself originally when I first started writing it as the marathon. And I, at that oh. stage, I was just writing the, the parts where she was running and it was a mm. bird, you know, sort of in the moment running. And then as it grew into a more, like you said, a coming of age novel about how a female athlete sort of is, is created in a sense, I changed and started talking about it as Mickey Bloom because the book seemed about her mm. to me, you know, it was, it was her. But then when we realized that possibly at, at the late publishing stage that maybe the title wasn't working as strongly as it could for readers to, to sort of understand maybe what the book is about and to sort of grab them and maybe work a bit harder on the cover, the publishers said, you know, was there anything else I might like? They had a couple of suggestions and I had to look through the manuscript and it wasn't until the second to last sentence mm-hmm. that I found this part that became the title. And as soon as I read it, I thought to myself, oh, I would love to have a book with that title. And it seemed to sum up everything about how I felt about it and how I wanted people to read it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can understand that because it's it just seems perfect, doesn't it? I must admit, I, I've read both the hard copy book and I've listened to the audio book, which was narrated by Ruby Hansen. When I heard the line at that pivotal moment when she says, everything is beautiful and everything hurts, I actually cried. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so powerful. Now, Got to ask you about Mickey Bloom and that name. Now, I don't know if this is just my random thoughts, but is there any connection between Mickey Bloom and the James Joyce character from Ulysses, Molly Bloom? It's interesting that you ask that because I didn't really notice the doubling up of it until I was quite well into the draft and her name was set. And I realised, oh, that's why, I thought maybe that's why it sounds so good to Mm. me, is that it has that ring and that rhythm and that beautiful musicality of language that James Joyce is so famous for. And I, it wasn't deliberate, but I quite liked that maybe there's parts of your brain that are playing around with these ideas in the subconscious that part of my mind was thinking about these people and these great characters in literature. Mickey came about the first name because I, as a kid, I just always thought it was a cool name. Mm. You know, Mickey, I just thought, oh, that's so cool. And when I needed a surname, it's really less literary, the illusion that I came up with. I thought I always loved Orlando Bloom's name. Oh, yes. (laughs) The actor, you know, I was quite young when he was here for The Lord Mm. of the Rings, you know, so quite infatuated with the sound of his name and his beautiful face. And I always loved Bloom. And I've read a review where they talk about how her surname was almost a little bit too on the nose for our coming of age. Uh, That really wasn't on my mind at all. And and, and I didn't even think of that until the end, that it really was because of this movie star star character that I, I like. Oh, that's so interesting because the name Orlando Bloom is, I mean, he's just totally gorgeous, isn't he? Yeah, but the name was, but the name name is beautiful. It sounds gorgeous. And, you know, I thought, oh, if I could choose a surname for my character, I would pick something amazing. And Bloom was the standout. And I must admit, I didn't even think of, you know, Bloom as coming of age, growing. That never occurred to me. I was stuck, actually, in Ulysses. (laughs) Now, you sort of alluded earlier to the fact that you started writing the scenes from the Auckland Marathon. 
In the book, we have a, a dual timeline. So the chapters alternate between teen Mickey and then adult Mickey, who's running the Auckland Marathon. And I found that that dual timeline is quite propulsive. It sort of pushes the story along, probably a bit like running a race. But I wondered if you always planned to use that dual timeline technique. Yeah, because I started writing it in the immediacy, like I said, to me it was about the marathon. I wanted to write about what that might feel like to write a, a sports race. But every time I kept thinking about it, I wanted to know more about her. So I would drop back and then it felt natural to start at the beginning and think, where does she start? So it started out sort of by accident because I, I sort of stopped in my Word document in the middle of a marathon part and went back to the beginning and said, when I was born, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. even good at walking. It wasn't, it was never anything. And that was sort of how the, the structure of it began quite organically. But it was tricky to execute in the in as I was writing because it felt very messy and I wasn't sure how the parts would play against each other. You know, I wanted them to speak to each other and that the, and I wanted to make sure that they both stood alone as well. That It wasn't until a really late stage that I realised that all the marathon parts, there was not enough tension that they were quiet compared to. And I thought, oh, the marathon race has to be really, really exciting too. Mm. To, so I added in a lot more excitement. Mm. It was organic and natural, so it wasn't a difficult decision to come to, but it also, it was tricky to sort of put the puzzle pieces together. It wasn't until afterwards that I've been reminded that one of the Alex novels by Tessa Duda is the same structure. And I read those books when I was about 11 and I have never revisited them, but they were very pivotal in my life because it was from reading those books that I became a competitive swimmer, which I would never have written a book about Mickey Bloom if I had never done any sports because I was always quite a reedy, sort of nerdy little kid. That's really interesting that you say that because I was going to to mention that I got a real feel for the similarities between Mickey and um, Tessa Duda's Alex. And I was going to ask you about your competitive swimming. So it might be a good question to ask now. Was that a sport where that immense pressure was put on athletes um, around body, especially young women? You know, it was never really explicit. And, you know, I, none of a lot of the really horrible things that happened to Mickey didn't happen to me. A lot of those things are stories I've heard or things I've read about or stories other athletes have, have told me. But there was a pressure. I mean, aside from the fact that you're in a very tiny little lycra swimsuit and being looked at, you know, so you're feeling this gaze constantly. And then I also did surf lifesaving and I participated in a competition in that where I was the person being rescued by the IRB boats racing around in the competition. And for that, yes, you did need to be very small. They wanted someone small and light that they could lift out of the water. That is really tough. They wanted me light. And I found that a real challenge as I'm going through puberty, becoming a woman, it's hard to control natural body like So, yeah, I think that in lots of sports, it's really, an, it's inevitable, right? Yeah, yes. There is some hope on the horizon. I was reading just recently in New Zealand, some ex-elite female athletes um, are organising for change so that young women can have a bit more autonomy over their bodies to try and reduce that sort of training and, and shame-based situations. Things like period shaming, you know, there's been a big thing about that with sports uniforms and, um, yeah, and just trying to give young women more control. And it was so good to see that. 
It is really good. I've heard about yeah about like uh, football teams changing their their short colour to compensate for in case there's any leakage, and lots of people talking now about how to train with female hormones as they rise and dip for throughout your menstruation cycle. It's really positive, and I also think that giving females that chance to just grow into their bodies a little bit without that pressure. Yes, but all that science has has always been focused on the male physiology, just like most medicine. So there's still so much that I guess we don't know about, um, as a woman, how to optimise your performance. I totally agree. Yeah, there was a lot of things like that I came up against. Also discovering that running shoes are designed for a male foot and then they just sort of shape them slightly differently, whereas the angles of female ankles are quite different often than males. So they've just started now to design shoes specifically for female runners, which I think is, you know, it sort of seems quite, I mean, maybe you never think that there's a difference, but apparently Mm, there is. mm. It was interesting. I didn't know that. And I suppose when you think about it, the female hips are going to be at different angles. So I guess, of course, you're going to need, especially at that high level, we've still got a long way to go. There's been um, more scrutiny on, with elite, those sort of high-performance sports I was thinking that in the US, the gymnastics team been through a great reckoning, New Zealand cycling. So it's, I mean, it's horrible as as it has been for for the young women that have suffered through that. I'm glad that some sunlight is is being shone onto the situations. I agree. This word sunlight was just coming to my mind too, that these things become... You know, you feel like it's a great, it's such a huge shame. There's so much shame behind a lot of these things in that. But it's actually the power comes when we start talking about them to to make the real change. And I watched that athlete, a, I think it's called the Gymnastics documentary on Netflix. Mm. That And, you know, the, the things that I, I saw on that and that I read in different articles about athletes, you know, all now speaking their truth, putting the sunlight on the bad aspects. And... Of all the terrible things that I, that happened to Mickey, of all the hardships she goes through, there are actually far worse stories out there and I just couldn't, you couldn't put it all in there. It would seem like a misery memoir in a way. When we're talking about, um, I won't go into detail because we don't want to spoil the, the story for people, but some of the scenes, the things that Mickey goes through, they're quite confronting. I was thinking, sadly, the scenes will be familiar to, to many readers. But I was wondering about you as a writer, how you look after yourself if you're writing a traumatic scene. Yeah, there, you know, that, and that some of the confronting things in there are taken from some personal emotions, even if the situations aren't the same. I didn't find myself too, too hurt by any of, you know, I was, it was quite easy for me to write. And it, in fact, I enjoyed writing some of those harder scenes because it was a real way to, you know, to think about it in a creative sense and to give my energy somewhere instead of feeling sad or hurt inside Mm. myself. Mm. And there are certain scenes that every time I wrote them or rewrote them or edited them or read them, they made me cry. And I thought Mm. every time that happened, I thought, well, I guess that means that it's working, that that Mm. the emotional truth is there. Yeah. And I guess it's a way of honouring those who've come before or, or those who might even be still experiencing some of those things. Now, I was going to ask you, um, Josie, you've talked about your, your swimming. Are you a, a runner? From the descriptions of the, the races uh, or the, the big race, it appears that you you know quite a bit about it. I hope that that's testament to my great writing because <laughs> I started running 
around, I was about 26. I probably ran for about four years in a very amateur fashion. Mm. You know, a couple of days a week, I go mm. out and repound the pavement. I did the Auckland Half Marathon twice. Oh, wow. But I've never raced on a track, you know, in that mm. proper way. I, you know, I was not good at cross country at school. Mm. I had more fun riding uh, a pretend cross country scene <laughs> yeah. than I did ever actually, actually running yes. one. I so I have the feeling of of what it feels like to run and enjoy because I did do it for a few years, but a lot of it was just I watched a lot of YouTube videos mm. of people running and just imagining what it might feel like to be that person. It was a lot of cre- yeah, imaginative work rather than actual you know physical run <laughs> running and then saying this is what it felt like. <laughs> so maybe I made it sound too glorious at times. <laughs> It certainly sounds authentic to me. As a reader, I felt at times that I was running the marathon alongside Nikki. And the funny thing is I've heard other readers say that as well. And people that are are not runners either saying that. And this is probably really weird, but after I finished the book, I had a dream that I was running um, in a race along the Auckland waterfront. (laughs) I was telling my workmates yesterday and they laughed. But yeah, I haven't ever dreamt about running. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad it felt real and that you feel like you're taking along with it. I wanted, I wanted to see if that was possible to write a book that people enjoyed about a, a sports race. You know, I think all the, all the wonderful things for an Astoria are, are within sports often, you know, the drama and the tension and the, the wondering if things are going to fall apart. Yes, that, that, that's right. Yeah. And even things like, oh, yes, when you said um, running a race is like a hunt and that you pick off your prey one by one. And that really spoke to me. You know, I'd never thought of it like that. But yeah, you would be. I can't quite think how I, why I wrote that she was, I just had this idea that she would sort of be the a sort of underdog roaring yes. out from behind. And that I liked when I was swimming that you can't see the people in the same way, but you can often maybe see the person in the lane next to you and that feeling of, I'm sure I've heard commentators say about swimming races, always hunting him down, you know, that feeling of, yeah. So I think that was sort of in my brain. Yeah. Oh, it just was so beautiful to read that. Early on in the marathon, she says, I am dancing, I am flying, I am beauty. And I, I just thought, what a beautiful sentence. Oh, thank you. What I wanted to ask you next was, what do you hope readers will get from Mickey's story? I guess if there's something that they could take from it, it would really be about taking care of yourself, finding your community, cherishing friendships and the family members that that you have with you while you can, about putting your trust in people who deserve it. I also wanted people to... To, to see that the running can be a metaphor for just about anything else that you wanted to do. You know, while I was writing it, it was not lost on me that I was trying to write a novel and I was trying to achieve something very big alongside her and that I wanted also to give myself permission that if the novel didn't go anywhere, that it was going to be okay. You know, that things were going to be okay no matter what. The journey to the dream was the really important part. So I hope that people get that, that mm. it's worth chasing things. Yeah. It's worth working for things. Oh, that's that's lovely. That's a really full answer. And there's so much depth to that because some writers perhaps might say, well, I wanted to say that you've got to make a lot of sacrifices if you want to achieve anything great. But I love what you're saying about find your community. And also, many of us won't achieve greatness, but it and they say with running, sometimes it's just putting your shoes on and getting out the door and taking those first few steps and 
And sometimes even if you've done that, that's a win, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, that you know, and that you shouldn't be afraid to try new things either and not be worried about being embarrassed. I think because Mickey, as she's older, is worried about embarrassing herself. Mm. And that I, I that came directly from me that I was really worried in writing my debut that I was going to embarrass myself. You know, I was really terrified of that feeling that this is going to be terrible. People are going to think it's terrible, but I wanted to do it anyway and be brave. That's a real leap into the unknown, isn't it? Because you must, I can imagine you must feel so vulnerable. Yeah, that I think that part of it was feeling that I'm not young anymore. I don't feel so young. Mm. You know, I feel like I'm I'm 40. I have two young kids. I didn't feel like a young person who felt invincible. I mm. really had this sense of, oh, you're a bit old to be reinventing yourself in mm. this way, you know, and so you feel like it's too late. But it really, it isn't, is it? You know, that people celebrate the achievements of, of youth, but people do great and wonderful new things all their lives. All the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good on you. Now, let's get on to Auckland as a setting, because it was so evocative, I, I suppose, because I know Auckland well, and many of our readers will be very familiar with, with Auckland. And so the marathon and then You've got the training runs through the Waitakere Ranges. And I felt that the, the setting was so accurate. So my question was how you managed to get that setting described in such lush detail. Did you have to run some of those hills yourself? I, or? Yeah, I did. I think that was... When I moved to Auckland in 2008, I didn't know the city at all. And, it, you know, it was really spread out and you sort of live in one little place. And I found it freaky, scary to drive on the motorway and get around. So I didn't drive a lot of places that I didn't know. This was when I was doing my amateur running. But I, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, super fast and I wasn't, you know, a great sort of superstar runner, but I could run a long, a long way once I got fit. And I would run all around. And, you know, it was just a great way to get to know the city. So a lot of the running that she talks about are routes that I did a lot. And then when it came to sort of very specific parts of the, the marathon course or the, the running she's doing in West Auckland, it was either through going there and also a lot of, I'd put the little man in Google Street View oh, yes. and walk them along and look and think about what it might look like. And there's one point when she's running up Scenic Drive and, she stops and turns around. I think months after I'd written that, I was driving up there with my husband mm. and we came to that exact corner where she stops and it spun around and it was the same view that I'd seen on my computer screen that I'd stared at for days. I said, well, this is it. This is the place. This is where Mickey, this is where Mickey stood. <laughs> and it was really exciting for me to see her in a local space and I wanted readers to also feel excited to see their spaces. Yeah. Oh, and it, it, look, it really works because I know that corner or that sort of intersection that you're talking about because that resonated with me when, yeah, when she was on that run. And it was almost as if I was turning around like the Google man. Yeah, it was too. Really, yeah, it's really, it was really exciting for me to see it and, you know, to be there again after writing it and feel like, oh, yes, this is it. This is how she was feeling. And I loved writing about a city that I'm living in and to try and mythologise some of its landscapes into literature. Yeah. Oh, look, I think our readers are going to just love that. You really do Auckland justice. And I was a bit surprised when you said that you've really only been here the last, was it about 15 years? Because from reading this, I would have sworn that you had grown up here. No. Yeah. So I grew up in, I moved to New Plymouth when I was about four. 
So she lives in a version of New Plymouth. Oh, yes, she but does. But I call it Naamotu because I because that's its Maori name, but also because I take great liberties with the lo- with the geographical things in that in the story that I didn't feel like I could say it was New Plymouth and be true to that. I don't give it the same accuracy as I give Auckland. When it came to Auckland, I wanted it to be very true as much as I could. Yeah, because it was a love letter to the city. Oh, you can really, really see that. And I really got that from the book. You know, they talk about the the runner's high, but I think I really got like a reader's high reading it too, if there's such a thing. So I don't know whether it's like feeling you're running the yeah. race or just, as you say, that love letter to, to Auckland. It just Interesting. Yeah. I'd never thought of that same feeling that, yeah, that you can get after exercise where you feel spent, but very proud and satisfied, but that you can also have that same feeling reading. And I Wanted the book to also show the parallels between art and and reading and sport because I didn't want there to be such a division between them because I love both things. And I always felt like, oh, lots of people, you know, who love reading are like, oh, sports is boring. But yes, because Mickey's father was like that, wasn't he? And he was that cynical sort of journalist, like, oh, not interested in sport. Although, of course, he watched the Olympics. He, He was glued to that. Um, yes, I think that, that lots of people find that suddenly the Olympics are suddenly very interesting, isn't it? You know, even if they're not into sports, that there's something yes. about the Olympics that's the best in the world. Yeah, then they realise that there is, you know, that sport is, is both an art and a science. Yes. I think yeah. perhaps every four years most of us realise that. <laughs> I really see the book as a tribute to the great runners that have come through in the last few decades. And particularly Anne Ordain. From what I know about her, she triumphed over a lot of adversity too. I think she had issues with her feet that she had to have um, surgery as a child and, and was told something like, you'll never walk properly. Or I, re- I did read New Zealand Runners Family Tree, I think that's oh, the name yes. of the book, and read about Anne Ordain. And I think I mentioned her in the book a couple of times and some other of New Zealand great runners. I agree that I wanted the book to honour these incredible athletes that have come before. I I kept thinking as I'm writing about Mickey, I thought, hers are not the first feet to run these roads. You know, she is following in, in, you know, she's fictional, but she's following in this grand history of incredible runners. I couldn't pretend like it wasn't true, even in my sort of parallel universe. So I recommend that book for people that there are, you know, that there are wonderful runners it was fantastic to learn about them. And a lot of them I hadn't never heard of, but they're really, you know, really important to our sporting history. Yeah. Oh, I'll put that book on our show notes when we publish this. It's in the um, acknowledgements. Oh, you've... that's right. It is. Yes. Now, just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your writing process, etc. But because you're a, a busy parent and, you know, you've got life, family life and, and no doubt numerous other things, how do you schedule time for writing into your day? When I was writing this, uh, I started off just writing as much as I could because I, I got into the swing of it. I just wanted to keep going, 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 going. And then when it became obvious that I was neglecting just about everything else, mm-hmm. I started to schedule in the time I had to write before the kids spoke. So I wrote oh. in the early mornings, but I'm not naturally a mm. great wake, you know, early morning person. I'm not really a late night person either. I like to sleep. Uh, So fitting it in is tricky. At the moment, what I'm doing is with two of my writer friends, we text each other and set up time in the day where we're all writing for 15 minutes. One of us sets a timer. You have to write as many words as you can in that space. And at the moment, I'm writing my second novel and I'm writing writing about a thousand words a day, doing this method two times a day. 
And so I'm charging through that first draft. So it is really, at the moment, heavily scheduled yeah. <laughs> with other people to keep me accountable because it's, it's easy to let it become not important. You know, and I think that if you actually want to complete something, you need to, you do need to put a little bit of accountability and a deadline and structure it. And I think that that works for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Oh, what a good point to make. Now, in the acknowledgements um, of the book, you thank your parents for, for always letting you read what you wanted to when you were growing up. And I loved how you said that. So wondering how that benefited you. I loved reading. It was, you know, something I, I started young. My mum said I started reading when I was about four. I think my sister was at school and I was interested. So I was reading along with her, trying to learn. And, you know, I remember my grandparents, they lived in Sydney. When they came over, when I was about five, they would bring me little books from grandma and grand. You know, that was their, bring their present they would bring. Then I do remember going to the library a lot with my mum and just being allowed to get out anything I wanted mm. all the time. And as soon as I'd finished reading or finished being interested in the kids section, I must have been about nine or ten, I went over to the adults and started getting out Agatha Christie. Oh. And I must have started in C because I quite mm. I remember meeting Michael Crichton oh, and Agatha yeah. Christie, you know, like getting and to my mind, they were very strict about television shows. I wasn't allowed to watch many television shows that, you know, only a few things that were okay. But I was allowed to I felt like I was allowed to read mm. anything that I was free to, if I could read it, I could have it to read. And that blossomed in my whole life. That has been the greatest joy of my life is reading. Yeah. And what a gift from, from your parents too. Yeah. They always had a lot of books at home and, you know, I was encouraged to read. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. We love to hear stories like that. S similarly, I was so privileged to be around books too. Well, look, we've just about run out of time, Josie. And it's been an absolute honour to have you here today. I just wanted to thank you so much and um, thank you for writing this, this inspirational and heartwarming book. Thank you so much, Alison. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Look, all the best with your future projects. I just can't wait to read what, what comes next. So <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in today. Take care. Happy reading. Hi, Dada. Kakite Ano. This program was brought to you by Auckland Council Libraries. Nga pātaka kōrero o Tāmaki Makaurau. Find us at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz Contact us by sending an email to reading at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz